Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Amma ba'd Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Allahumma anfa'na bima allamtana Wa'allimna ma yanfa'una Wa'arzuqna ilman tanfa'una bih Amin ya rabbal alamin Should be better now Alhamdulillah, Thumma Alhamdulillah, we <coughs> continuing with our fiqhul hadith from Buluhul Maram, busy with the Kitabul Salah and Bab Sifatul Salah, the chapter of the description of the Salah. Last week we stopped or we, we ended off the week before that with the Qunut and last week we spoke in detail about the Sababa, spoke about the Sababa. Right, pointing with the finger. And before that we spoke about going down into sujood, hands versus the knees. And we said, to summarize, we basically said that both are authentic, both are, rather both are correct. Meaning, no scholars dispute that if you go on your hands or your knees, it will invalidate the salah. Both are accepted. The only argument is which one is preferred over the other. And we gave the proofs for both sides and the arguments for both sides. And some ulama even said, you just choose which one is better for you, easier for you. Right? Whereas majority of the ulama said, knees instead of the hands. Go down on your knees first instead of the hands. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So we continue on tonight to the next hadith, which is narrated from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, who said, Iltafata ilayna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi وسلم فقال إذا صلى أحدكم فليقل عبد الله بن مسعود هنا رأيت هذا الحديث and he said that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم he turned around towards us and he said turned around towards us what does this mean يعني after the صلاة so after they prayed one day Rasulullah he turned around and on this point it's a sunnah for the imam to turn around after the صلاة it's a sunnah up for the imam. When he completes the prayer, he makes taslim. And after the taslim, he says, Astaghfirullah three times. And then, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. Tabarakta dal jalali wal ikram. It is then a sunnah for him to turn around. Understand? He can say it loud if he wants to. No problem. Or he can say it soft as well. Right? Loud, we don't mean... Loud as in, the whole masjid must hear you saying it, right? Audibly, audibly, understand? That those around him, they can hear him. So not on the mic. Look, if the mic is like this, for example, clipped onto his chest, and he completes the salah, and he says, Astaghfirullah, 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 Allahumma anta salam, amika salam. No problem, inshallah. And as he's saying it, he can be taking off the mic. There's no need for him to, to, there's no need for the mic any longer. So when he's done, right, he says the taslim, he can then start unclipping the mic. You understand? So as he puts it down, he will be saying, Allahumma anta salam, wa salam, al-jalal wa ikram. Then he should turn around. <coughs> understand? So he first says those, that adhkar, then he turns around and he faces the congregation. And then he recites the rest of the adhkar. 
Understand? So here he says that iltafata ilayna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he turned towards us. Faqala and then he said idha salla ahadukum if one of you makes salah if one of you prays right then he should say and then he goes into the rest of the hadith. Before we go into the rest of the hadith um, this is the wording of Bukhari. That is the wording in the narration of in Al-Bukhari. In Al-Nasai, the narration in Al-Nasai says, Kunna naqulu qabla an yufrada alayna tashahud. That this was, this basically happened before the tashahud became compulsory upon us. Which means after this, this hadith will be about the tashahud. After this, <coughs> the tashahud became compulsory. Right? After this, the tahiyyat became compulsory. In another narration in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, Ibn Hajar says, Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allamahu tashahud, wa amarahu an yuallimahu nasa. In this narration, it says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught him the tashahud. He taught who? Abdullah bin Mas'ud, the tashahud. And he instructed him to teach the people the tashahud. So you see why he mentions this additional narrations? Because there's benefit in it. This, the first narration didn't mention about wajibat, what was fard and not fard. The second narration says this was before it, was became, uh, it became fard after this basically. The third narration says he taught the tashahud to Abdullah. And he told and he instructed Abdullah to teach the tashahud to, to others. There's additional wordings which gives across additional Benefits and additional knowledge. In fact, Ibn Uthaymin says, in another uh, narration, it says, Rasulullah taught me the tashahud. He says, he taught me the tashahud with my hand in his hands. With my hand, Within his hands, as if he taught us a surah of the Quran. As if he taught us a surah of the of the Quran. Why does Ibn So Ibn Hajar didn't mention this narration? Ibn Uthaymin mentions it. Why does he mention it? There's additional benefit in this narration. There's something extra. It shows us extra uh, virtue of the tashahud. That the Prophet really gave it some special care when he taught them such that he took his hand in his hand and Abdullah says he taught me the way he taught me a surah of the Quran what does this tell us? it's of utmost importance and it has to be done properly it has to be done properly and correctly and also it's important to understand the tashahud most Muslims don't understand the, the tahiyyat most because we never learned the, 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 the understanding of the tahiyyat is it not, is it not true? this is a fact we learn the, the, the tahiyyat as we're growing up, but we never bother learning the, the meaning of the tahiyyat or the tashahud. Yet it's recited in every single salah, at least once, sometimes twice, sometimes thrice. For example, if you come late, you might end up doing three tashahuds and so forth. Tayyib, so this clearly proves that the Prophet gave some special care to the tashahud. Because Abdullah says, the way he taught us the Quran, this is how he taught us the the tashahud. Tayyib. So he turned towards them as we explained. 
Meaning, after the salah, he turned around towards them and he said, If any of you prays, if any of you makes salah, فليقول, then he has to say, At-tahiyyatu lillah. At-tahiyyatu lillah. So firstly, what does the word At-tahiyyat mean? At-tahiyyat means greetings. At-tahiyyah is a greeting. Right? And it's, it's generally used to praise someone or to glorify someone or to honor someone. To honor someone. Right? So when we say At-tahiyyatu lillah, Basically, what does it mean? It means we are sinning our, uh, our glorification out of humility. It's all greetings and, and, and this glorification belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is for who? Lillah. And we should know what Lillah means. Because it comes up throughout the Quran and so forth. Lillah means? What does Lillah mean? Huh? <laughs> nope. What does Lilla mean? Just the word Lilla. For Allah. The word Li in Arabic, yeah, in this context means for. Like we say, Alhamdu Lilla. All hamd, perfect praise and so forth, is, is, is what? Lilla. It belongs to Allah. It is for Allah. It's due unto Allah. You understand? This is something similar. We are saying, At-tahiyyatu lillah. All tahiyyat. All of that uh, glorification, that greetings of glorification out of humility from us is, is, is what? Is lillah. It's, it's for Allah alone. It, it's, he's deserved of it. It's unto him. It's due unto, unto him. Was-salawat. Was-salawat. Salawat yeah, is basically the plural of salah. It's the plural of salah. So all and all prayers, all greetings um, of humility and salawat is for Allah and salawat. And our salah is for, is for Allah. So Ibn Uthaymi goes into a, dis- a discussion here yeah, and he says, the word salah in the Arabic language, it also means du'a. It also means du, du'a. Salah means du'a in Arabic. So what does this word mean here? Does it mean du'a? Or does it mean your salah? As in the prayers that we make. The five daily salahs and so forth. Understand? Both meanings are appropriate. That all du'a is for who? Is du'a to Allah. We only make du'a to Allah. Azzawajal. But at the same time, the word salah yeah, takes the, the shari'i meaning. Which means, in this context, it, it's more likely that it refers to our salahs. Our prayers, you know. Our salah that we are busy performing. And all the other salahs that we perform is for who? Goes back to the word before it. Goes back to lillah. All salawat is also lillah. It's, it's due unto Allah. He is the only one that's deserved of it. It's due unto Allah. What tayyibat? No, 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 no. I didn't say. I said it goes back to the word before it. So I said at tahiyatu lillah was salawat. Right. No, lillah. No, lillah only comes once. Lillah only comes once. So that that lillah goes. I mean the salawat and tayyibat, which is coming up, 
goes back to Lillah. It also goes back to that uh, for Allah or due unto Allah. Right? So what tayyibat means? Tayyibat. All that which is tayyib. All that which is pure and good. Right? Of our deeds. Of our speech. Of our actions. Is for Allah Azza wa Jal. We explained this hadith recently. Inna Allah tayyibun la yakbalu illa tayyiban. Indeed, Allah is pure. That's, when he, that's his name, right? At-tayyib, the pure one. Indeed, Allah is pure and he does not accept, accept, accept that which is pure. Right? So our pure, those righteous deeds, all that which is, you know, salihat uh, and uh, tayyibat and so forth, is all for lillah. It goes back to lillah. All purity and pure deeds and so forth belongs to Allah. It's due unto Allah. Assalamu alayka, ayyuha nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So the beginning of the tahiyyat was what? Praising Allah. Correct? The first three, four words is all praising Allah. At-tahiyyatu lillah wa salawatu wa tayyibat. Okay? All four of those is, is glorifying and praising Allah. Affirming that those greetings of humility, of honor, of glorification... Is for Allah and due unto Allah alone. And our prayers and our righteous pure deeds are also due unto Allah alone. Now we move on to the, the next aspect of the tashahud, which says, Assalamu alayka, ayyuhan nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, ya, assalamu alayka, salam alayk, peace be upon who? You, O Prophet. Peace be upon you, O Prophet. Right? Um, this salam over here, is it like we give salam to one another? Assalamu alaikum. Is it the same thing? Assalamu alaikum, ayyuhan nabi. Ibn Uthaymi says it's not the same thing. Hence, the Sahaba, they never raised their voice and said, Assalamu alaikum, ayyuhan nabi. They said it silently, even though the Prophet is there. Even though he was right in front of them, they never greeted him as if they are giving a normal salam, a normal greeting. Something different. Right? Um, and also, we're not allowed to speak in the salah. Correct? So if you cannot sit in the, and say, this is like I'm sending my salams from me to the Prophet, directly, as if he's in front of me. This is not what, what we are saying. Right? Rather, this is a dua upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's not actually a greeting. It's actually a, it's a dua. It's a dua upon or for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it's as if you are saying, "Oh Allah, send your salam upon the Prophet." It's as if you are saying that. Um, the next issue is if we say it's a dua. Then why are we saying Assalamu alayka ayyuhan nabi? The Arabic letter ka, right? You find it again often. Ka means you. If you're addressing somebody face to face, ka, when it's attached to another word, obviously, means you. Like Assalamu alayka. Peace be upon you. Assalamu alaykum means all of you, plural. Assalamu alayka means you. Kayfa ha lu? 
How are you? Kaifa haluka? You understand? So why are we saying ka here to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? No. That's, you see, we don't have to use the singular uh, form of the, of the word. Um, we still say assalamu alaikum. Sometimes in Arabic also we use a plural out of respect, out of honor. That's how the Arabs also speak. Sometimes they speak to you, they won't say you. But they, they will actually address you as, like in a plural form, but it doesn't come across like an Englishman. You know, um, but it's used like that. So we sh- is, there would be nothing wrong to say assalamu alaikum, right? But we generally we say assalamu alaikum. That's more accepted and, it, and it's better than saying assalamu alaikum, right? Kum means you all, like plural for all of you. So if I come in the room and there's a lot of people, I can just say assalamu alaikum, peace be upon all of you. You understand? Assalamu alaikum means peace be upon you, only you, when I'm addressing. But still, when we greet, we should use kum instead of ka. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so why do we say ka? The ulama have basically said that this address, this khitab, What's meant by this khitab is, this address to the Prophet is that a person, he should feel as if the Prophet is in front of him. The person should what? He should imagine and feel as if the Prophet is in front of him and as if he is addressing him. Do you understand? So we're not saying that we are speaking to the Prophet ﷺ and he can hear us. What we are saying is when you say, Assalamu alaika ayyuhan nabi, you are saying, may peace be upon you, O Prophet. And you should feel and imagine as if the Prophet is in front of you and that you are addressing him. you understand? And in fact, we should know that this salam that we are sending upon the Prophet ﷺ, it reaches him. This salam, it does reach him. Not because he's in front of us. Not because he hears everything. And he can be wherever he wants to be in the world like some people believe. Many of the Sufis, they believe this, that the Prophet ﷺ can hear everything. That he knows everything. They believe that he can be wherever he wants to be. Some of them believe he's omnipresent. He can be in many places at the same time. <coughs> so if he wants to be here, he will be here. If he wants to be whilst he's here, he can be in another place and another majlis. And, in, and they believe this. So some of them, they put the chair in the, in the gathering. Some of them, they stand up when they do salawat because they believe the Prophet is present. They believe that he is he's present. So this is a bit of an aqidah issue. The assalamu alayka becomes an aqeedah issue because people believe when we say, Oh, peace be upon you, O Prophet, they believe that they are speaking to the Prophet as if the Prophet is there, as if he can hear them, as if he is, you know, physically there, and so forth. And that's why when they do this, the, 
the salawat and so forth, you know, the salami they call it. Many a times, why do they stand up? To honor him. And because some, not all, some of them believe he's there. He attends the gathering. So they have to stand up and they, they lower their heads in humility. You understand? As if the Prophet ﷺ is present. And this is a pro- major issue in terms of the aqidah, right? This is a huge problem in terms of their belief. Um, and if you listen to the salami, you will hear them say words like, Marhaban. Huh? Marhaban, yeah, so-and-so, whatever they are addressing him as. Which means welcome. Welcome, O Prophet, and welcome. Where did these words come from? You understand? Why are they, who are they welcoming? Because many of them believe and used to believe that the Prophet he, he comes to the gathering and he's in the gathering and hence they are addressing him directly and they are welcoming him and therefore they stand up and they you know, humble themselves and so forth. And there's major issues with this obviously in terms of belief. But we believe that our salam upon him when we send praises and salutations and mercy upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we believe that it, it reaches him. We believe that it, it reaches him. Why? The hadith says that, in fil malaika, that indeed in this dunya there is malaika, in this world there is malaika, they travel around. And whenever they hear someone, you sallimu ala nabi Sallallahu sending peace upon and salutations and, and, and uh, uh, Mercy upon the Prophet ﷺ. They convey their salams to him. They convey their salams to him. Right? So, even this hadith has become problematic. Because how have they used this hadith now? They say, well, if millions of Muslims around the world are sending salam to the Prophet ﷺ at the same time, which means... Through 24-7, there's malaika that's taking the salam to him. And he receives the salam and he responds to the salam. Right? What does this mean? This means that he's alive 24-7. He's always receiving the salam. Hence, he's always responding to the salam. Hence, he's alive in his grave. You understand? And therefore, they go to the qabr, they can make dua to him and ask him for so forth and to make dua for them. And you understand how this, this now becomes a, a bigger issue. This is obviously not what's meant. Because that is a conclusion that the hadith didn't mention. That he's allowed, allowed to, he must be allowed to. He is in another world. He is in the barzakh. That cannot be compared to the life of this world. So you cannot say, well, if someone is coming to him 24-7, he must be alive 24-7. And so you are thinking in terms of this world. We don't know how it works over there. We cannot compare the life in another, dunya, in another world to the life in this dunya. The Prophet ﷺ has passed on. His ruh has left his body. He was buried in under, you know, six feet under and so forth. He's passed away. And this is why Abu Bakr anhu, when he ascended the mimbar, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, many of the Sahaba could not accept that the Prophet had passed away. Because he was so beloved to them. And so, when Abu Bakr said that the member, what did he say? Man kana minkum ya'budu Muhammadan fa inna Muhammadan qad mat. Whomsoever from amongst you used to worship Muhammad, you should know that Muhammad has passed away. 
But whomsoever from amongst you worships Allah, Indeed, Allah is alive and He does not die. He will never die. This, when He said these words, it was to make them realize that it's only Allah that, that, that's eternal. You see, they were, they were overly emotional because the most beloved person to them left the world. Right? They, were, they could not fathom this. They could not, you know... Uh, Take that, that emotion. And he recited the ayah that Makana uh, how does the ayah go? Basically the ayah says that um that Muhammad Rasulullah that Muhammad is a messenger amongst you and he will pass away just like the messengers before him passed away. When he recited this ayah, Umar ibn Khattab anhu said, it was as if it was the first time I heard that ayah. At that moment, that ayah struck him and he understood what, what, what's happening. So, long story short, the Prophet has passed away. He's not omnipresent. He's not alive in his qabr. He's not alive wherever. The salams reach him. How? We don't know. It's, in, it's part of the ilmul ghaib. That's part of the, the unseen that only Allah knows and understands. We don't understand that world. It's not part of this dunya we life the way we understand life. It's a different life completely. We have no idea what's happening there. We know the Prophet is obviously experiencing naim, delights, and rahmah. No doubt. But it's a different world. To, to make claims and say, well, then this must mean that those are logical claims that applies in the dunya, not in the matters of the unseen. And Allah knows best. So, when we say Assalamu alaikum, ya Nabi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, the point here is we are sending salutations upon the Prophet and we should feel as if we are addressing him, knowing that we are not really addressing him directly because he has left, he's passed away. In fact, even in the time of the Prophet, the Sahaba did not address him directly. They were addressing him in the salah quietly. They never raised their voice and he did not stand up and say, Wa alaikum salam. This proves that. This is not a, a, uh, a calf of mukhataba necessarily, where you are saying, you know, uh, addressing a person directly. This is not this case. So again, when we say this part of the tahiyyat, we should feel as if we are addressing the Prophet So when we say, Assalamu alaikum, we say, Ya, uh, may peace and mercy be upon you, O Prophet of Allah. Prophet And this should be the, the intent that when you say these things, the beginning of the tahiyyat, you say it with understanding that you are praising, glorifying Allah Azza When you come to this part of the tahiyyat, you should try to feel that you are as if you are addressing the Prophet, as if you are praying to him, not to him, for him, that you are praying for him, sending this mercy and salutations upon him. And you should feel as if you are speaking to him and so forth. Or in front of him rather. That he's there that he can hear you. Dua that you are making for him. Right? And Allah knows best. This also proves the, the, the this hadith that we mentioned proves the, the virtue of salawat. And salam upon the Prophet that it reaches him. Do you understand? And there's an issue of this that comes up. When people go for umrah. What do the people say? 
take my salams to the Prophet. So when you get there, you must say, oh, peace, be up, uh, uh, peace be upon you on behalf of so-and-so. Right? First of all, it's not established from hadith that Sahaba ever did this or anybody ever did this, right, from the Salaf. Secondly, if you take this hadith, right, why would I need to send my salam with a person? If I sent it, if I just said it from my heart, the hadith is a malaika, they come, they take that salam and they take it directly to them. Who's faster? Which salam will reach first? The salam I send with you, who's first got to go through immigration and board the plane and there's a layover here, then there's a delay. Two days later, he only gets to the haram and then he forgets. And after you WhatsApp him three days later, did you send my salam? He said, ah, oh, send it. Then he goes to send the salam. And who is he? He's a normal guy, he's a sinner, you know? Who do you want to send your salam with? <laughs> this individual or those malaika? They send it, they take it immediately, instantly. And they are malaika, they're sinless. They take your salam. Not a, a, another person. So this we say is not legislated. It should not be done, nor does it make sense. People do it out of emotion and they feel, so now he sent my salam. But this actually, this is, it's more like ignorance. If you actually know what, salam, what salam is and the virtue, and you understand this hadith, you will see that it makes no sense to send your salam with another person when the malaika takes it already directly. No sense. Tayyib. Um, so we said the point here is to, to really feel, try and feel as if the Prophet is in front of you, as if he can hear you sending that salutations upon him. So that when you say it in the salah, you feel, you know, that sincerity, that khushu' will be there. That love for the Prophet will be there when you are saying it. And this is obviously even greater than um, just saying it like we normally say it, without feeling, without, um, without any khushu' uh, and so forth. Wallahu musta'an. Taib. Um, so, firstly, what does salam mean? What does salam mean? Peace. peace, we translate it usually as peace. Salam is actually, it means peace, yes. It also means that, it also means safety. It also means safety and security. So, when you say to somebody and you greet them, if you greet someone and you say to them, Assalamu alaikum, it doesn't only mean peace be upon you. It's a dua for peace, yes. It's also a dua for what? May Allah keep you safe. May, may you be kept in safety. You understand? And protected. This is what salam means. From all harms and difficulty and so forth. So when we say Assalamu alaikum, we are saying may that safety, may peace be upon you. That safety be upon you. From what? From any possible harm when it was in this world or in the akhirah. Because you must remember this du'as were made in the lifetime of the Prophet So they were making this du'a for him from then. We make it to, to, uh, until the end of time. But in the akhirah as well, we know he's protected. But yet we make this du'a for him nonetheless. Yes, it's just one of the um, tahrir, 
There are different versions of Tahiyat, yes. There are various versions of the Tahiyat. No, no, no problem. There's different versions of the Tahiyat. Um, so we said, Assalamu alaikum, ayu nabi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And the mercy of Allah and His blessings be upon you. Right? Assalamu alaikum, ayu nabi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are also now asking Allah to send His mercy upon Him and to send His blessings upon Him. To send all of His khair and barakah upon Him. Right? Ibn Uthaymin says, Barakat, this, this barakah upon Him, it includes the words of the Prophet and it includes the actions of the Prophet and also His athar. That's what he left behind. And how blessed is his speech? How blessed is his actions? Sunnah. Become part of the deen. And what he left behind, any teaching of his becomes part of the deen. It's blessed. You understand? It's extremely blessed. So we ask Allah basically to improve him in that. Then we move on. As-salamu alayna. As-salamu alayna. May that peace and security and safety be upon us. May it be upon us. That Allah protects us and keeps us safe from all types of harm, all types of disease and all types of difficulty and so forth. Right? Alayna. Now the question is, what does this word mean here in this context? Upon us. Peace upon us. Right? Who's us? The ones that follow Who is us in this context? The answer is if you're praying in a jama'ah, then you are making dua for everyone in the jama'ah. And if you are praying by yourself, then you are making dua for yourself as well as the malaika that's around you. You understand? And if your intention was only for yourself, then it's only for yourself, no problem. But why do we use alaynaya? Because we are supposed to be in jama'ah. And when we're in jama'ah, we are praying for each other. As-salamu First we say, as-salamu alayhu, alayka, O Prophet. Now we're saying, and that, that peace and safety be upon all of us. Meaning, us in the gathering, us in the jama'ah. So now the second dua, or the next dua is, for all of the, for all of those in the gathering. Alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. And upon all of the righteous slaves of Allah. And upon all of the righteous slaves of Allah. So who does this include? It includes all of the slaves of Allah. Whether they are alive or dead. It doesn't make mention of those who are alive only. Any slave of Allah who is righteous, this dua is for him. From the past and present. And... Included in this is the malaika, included in this is the righteous jinn and so forth. So this dua is for all the righteous slaves of Allah. In general. So if we look at the tartib in the tashahud now. So far, what did we say in the tashahud? We firstly, the beginning of the tashahud, we praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? We glorified Allah. At-tahiyyatu lillah. Wa salawatu wa tayyibatu. All of those things are for Allah. Then, what did we do? We moved on from that to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
we then send peace and salutations and, and, and blessings and mercy upon him and safety upon him. Right? Then upon ourselves, alayna, ourselves and those who are with us in the jama'ah. And then upon all of the Muslims, all of the righteous slaves of Allah. You see the sequence in the, in the tashahud? Is this hikmah in it? Because in the sequence, what is, who's the most important thing? Whose rights, who has the most, most who has the, whose rights is the most important to fulfill? Who has the most right over us? Allah Azza wa Jal. So we start with praising Him. Secondly, who's the most, second most important person to us? Is Rasulullah the Sunnah and the Prophet, and following Him and loving Him. After that, we pray for ourselves, those who are with us in the Jama'ah. And then we pray for all of the slaves of Allah, all of the righteous, believing slaves of Allah. The tartib is, there's hikmah in it, you understand? That we start with Allah, then the Prophet then us, and then the rest of the Muslims. This is what the tahiyyat is all about. This is what the tashahud, um, this is the tartib of the tashahud. Khair, then it moves on and says, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. Ashadu. What does Ashadu mean? Huh? Ashadu. The word Ashadu. What does it mean? Just Ashadu. Ashadu means I bear witness. I testify. I acknowledge. Ashadu means I acknowledge. It's different to just saying La ilaha illallah. We are saying Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. Which means I bear witness. I stand by, I acknowledge, I believe in La ilaha illallah. You understand? So what does Ashadu mean? Ashadu means I be witness. Or I be testimony. Or I acknowledge. Or I believe. That's what Ashadu, that word in Arabic means. Right? And La ilaha illallah. That there is none worthy of worship. Except Allah. That there is none worthy of worship. Except Allah. Right? And we've been through the explanation of the, the karima. There's one thing we can touch on, it's always important. Nafi and isbat. Negation and affirmation. La ilaha, there is absolutely no ilaha that's worthy of worship. Nothing, no tree, no stone, no idol, no jinn, no uh, malaika, no rasul, no messenger, no prophet that's worthy of worship. We disbelieve in all of them. Illallah, except Allah. He's the only one that we worship. He's the only one that we believe in. He's the only one that we turn to and so forth. Right? So we bear this testimony in the tashahud. Ashhadu. Allah ilaha illallah. Now here Ibn Hajar says, Wahdahu la sharika la is included. Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. Wahdahu la sharika la. Wahdahu means him alone. La sharika la. He has no partner. Although Ibn Uthaymin says, if this part is not actually part of the hadith, it's a mistake. It was mistakenly included. But it's not part of the original hadith. So it should not be wahdahu la sharika lah. Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. Anna muhammadan abduhu wa ashadu. And I be testimony. And I testify. And I believe that Muhammad is his slave and his messenger. Is his slave and his messenger. And this is how the Prophet loved to be described. As the slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. 
This was his, his, this was the best way to, to describe him. The slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. This is, was something honorable to him. To acknowledge himself as the true slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. Right? And he emphasized this in many hadith. Whenever, you know, Sahaba used to overpraise him, or he felt that they might end up overpraising him, he would say, I am Muhammad, the slave of Allah, and the messenger of Allah. Abduhu wa rasuluh. You don't say anything about me, say, the, the slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. To make it very clear, don't fall into hulu, the excessive reverence. Don't go into extremes with me. Know my station. I am the slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. Understand? And he was undoubtedly the greatest slave of Allah. The most virtuous of all the slaves of Allah Azza wa Jal. The one who worshipped him the best and the one who submitted unto him the best. Um, <clears throat> and his sins have been forgiven. That which he did in the past and the future. If he did any sin, it's already forgiven. But yet with this, he strove hard in his worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. And we know the famous hadith when he stood in Qiyamul Layl for so long that his ankles, you know, they became swollen. And Aisha said to him, Ya Rasulullah, your sins are forgiven. You have, you're sinless. Your sins are forgiven past and future. Why do you do this? What was the answer? Afala akuna, afala akuna abadan shakura. Shall I not be a thankful slave? Shall I not be a grateful slave? Subhanallah, and this is ubudiyah, you know? It's not about only being in need of Allah. Sometimes we only turn to Allah when we in desperation, when we're in need of Him. Things are difficult, things are tough. I'm in debt, I'm in this, I'm sick, my mother's sick, my auntie's sick, my sister's sick, someone's sick. You know, some difficulty is happening. Exam time, it's this, it's that, whatever it is. Now we turn to Allah only. The Prophet was not like this. It was constant worship. Even in times of, that's why we worship Allah in times of ease and hardship. And when you worship Allah in times of ease and prosperity, Allah will make things easy for you in times of hardship. This is the promise of Allah. This is the sunnah of Allah. Those who worship Allah in times of ease and prosperity, when things are going fine, but you stay and you stick to worshiping Allah Azza wa Jal. You don't become heedless and negligent. You continuously work. For them, when the test comes, when the fitna comes, when the difficulty comes, and it must come, Allah will make a way out for them. Allah will make it easy for them. So whoever remembers Allah in times of difficulty, in times of ease, Allah remembers him in times of, of difficulty. That's the sunnah of Allah. And this is how it was for Rasulullah sallallahu He went through the most difficulties of, all, of, of anyone. But Allah azza wa jal was always there for him. Understand? So he was the ultimate slave of Allah and the most beloved slave um, of Allah azza wa jal. And in that hadith, or in other hadith, the Sahaba tried at times to stand in salah with him, but they could not. They could not. You know, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was a youngster. The Prophet was much older than him, but he could not stand in Qiyam the way the Prophet stood. It was too much. It was too long. It was too, you know, lengthy. He stood for hours. He made ruku for hours. He made sujood for hours. 
and and we know he was blessed in this. Allah gave him the strength that he was not given to to others um, besides him. But he stressed the fact that he is the slave of Allah. Even if he reached the perfect slavehood, you know, the perfect level of being a slave of Allah, that doesn't take him out of being a slave of Allah. He's still a slave of Allah. And that's why he made it very clear in a hadith. Um, I cannot benefit you. He said to Fatima, anha, you're my daughter, but I cannot benefit you against Allah. When it comes to meeting Allah, you alone. I'm not going to come because I'm your father and I was the perfect slave of Allah. And you'll be saved because of me. You understand? I am only a slave of Allah. You also need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appropriately um, and so forth. And there are many ayat where Allah Azza wa Jal makes it very clear. Makes this issue very clear. Um, Say to them, I do not possess for myself, for myself, any harm or any benefit, except that which Allah wills. Say to them, me as a messenger of Allah, I cannot benefit myself or harm myself, except what Allah allows. Don't turn to me. Don't seek your blessings from me. Don't seek your, you know. Allah is in control. The person was, was made this clear in the, in the Quran. قُلْ لَا أَقُلْ لَكُمْ عِنْدِي خَزَائِنُ اللَّهِ وَلَا أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ وَلَا أَقُلْ لَكُمْ إِنِّي مَلَكِ Say to them, O Muhammad Sallallahu I do not say that I have with me the treasures of Allah. Nor do I know the unseen. Nor do I say to you, I'm a malak. I'm an angel. I'm none of these things. I don't know the unseen. Yet there are Sufis who believe the Prophet knows the unseen. The Quran says, say to them, you don't know the unseen. The Prophet said, I don't know the unseen. They say, he knew the unseen. What type of aqeedah, what type of belief, Allah Musta'an. قُلْ إِنِّي لَا أَمِلُوَكُمْ ضَرًّا وَلَا رَشَدًا Say to them, I do not possess for you any harm, nor any guidance. وَإِنْ قُلْ إِنِّي لَا يُجِيرَنِي مِنَ اللَّهِ أَحَدٌ Say to them, I cannot protect myself from Allah. Right? Nor can I protect anyone else. وَلَنْ أَجِدَ مِنْ دُونِهِ مُتَّحَدًا إِلَّا بَلَاغًا مِنَ Ayat upon ayat saying, proving what? Prophet had no abilities except what Allah allows him. He had no knowledge of the unseen, not an angel, no, didn't possess the treasures, didn't possess harm or benefit. He is a slave of Allah. He is a, a man who was given prophethood and wahi and so forth and blessed. But he is not Allah Azza wa Jal. He has no rububiyyah at all. Hence, he is not deserved of worship. He is not deserved as perfect as he was as a man. He is not worthy of your dua. He is not worthy of, of, of worship. And so forth. And this was obviously made very clear throughout the Quran and the Sunnah by the Prophet himself, emphasizing that Tawheed and worship is for Allah Azza wa Jal alone. And of course, he is the, the messenger of Allah. And this is of course something that is ma'roof and well known. Um, where are we? Then the hadith says, ثُمَّ لَا يَتَخَيَّرْ مِنَ الدُّعَاءِ After the tashahud, he says, now you can now choose and decide with, uh, in terms of dua. Whichever dua is pleasing to you, make dua. Understand? Make um, dua. Right? Tayyib. We move on to the next hadith, which is in Muslim, Sahih Muslim, from Ibn Abbas, Rajallah Anhumah. 
He said, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu tashahud. The first hadith was who? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. The second hadith now is Abdullah ibn Abbas. The second Abdullah. Right? He said, the Prophet sallallahu used to, he taught us the tashahud. Attahiyyatul mubarakatul salawatul tayyibatu lillah ila akhiri. Now this is the one most of us learned growing up. This is the version most of us learned growing up. This hadith is a Muslim. So it's also authentic, it's just a different version. Understand? Attahiyyatul mubarakatul salawatul tayyibatu lillah to the end. You understand? So there's a slight difference here. Mubarakat is added. The other one didn't have Mubarakat. You understand? What does Mubarakat mean? Um, all those things which are blessed, basically. Mubarakat, all the things which have been, which Allah SWT has put placed blessings in, all blessed things is, is due to Allah. So the same meaning, At-Tahiyyat, same meaning. Al-Mubarakat, all those things which are, are Mubarak and blessed, is, is, it belongs to Allah. To Salawat, same meaning. Right? Your salahs, your, your prayers, will, is due unto Allah. Lillah. And then, Assalamu alaikum, ayyuhal nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin, all the same. All the, the same. So just the beginning part was slightly, was slightly different. Also in this hadith it says, which the author didn't mention, but Ibn Uthaymin mentions it in the sharh, he says that the, this hadith of Ibn, Ibn Abbas says, Anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. So Abduhu wa Rasul is not in. See, there's a difference here. The first hadith says, Ashadu ala ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna Muhammadan Abduhu wa Rasuluh. This version says, Ashadu ala ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. So if we are saying it the way we say it, this is how we should be saying it. We shouldn't be mixing the two up. It's not ideal to be mixing the two up. This version says, Ashadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. You know what? There might even be a narration like that. Because I've seen a sheikh mention it like that. But Yabin Uthaymin says, there's a difference in the narration. He says, the first narration says, Abdu wa Rasulu. And this one says, Muhammadan Rasulullah. Muhammadan Rasulullah. And I, know, I learned it like this growing up. I definitely learned it like this growing up. Um, not the Abdu Rasulu way. Wallahu alam. Right? Um, so, which one should we do? Right? We've spoken about this many times. Which one should we do? Ideally, we should do both. Ideally, we should do one sometimes and another one another time. Right? If, that's, if there's hardship in that, then stick to the one that you know. If you're going to get confused and mixed up, stick to the one that you know. You understand? If you can act upon both, you're acting upon more of the sunnah, more reward. And it has a slightly different meaning. So there should be a better effect on, uh, on, on the recite if it's doing it with meaning. You understand? Um, so ideally, we want to do both. And not just one. But if you only do one, no problem. No problem at all. Tayyib. Um, some of the benefits of this hadith. Number one is, we learned that 
it's a fard. The tashahud is a fard. Right? So question is, is there a difference between the first rak'ah and the, and the first tashahud and the second tashahud? What's the difference? Okay, the salawat is there. Okay, but in terms of the tashahud, we're not yet by the salawat. The way we do the tashahud will be the same. There's no difference. There is a difference. The first tashahud is wajib. The second tashahud is a rukun. The first tashahud is what? A fard of the salah. Obligation of the salah. The second tashahud is a rukun, which means a pillar of the salah. Now, what difference does that have on the salah? What's the difference now between a fard and a rukun? What's more important? The fard or the rukun? Both is important. The rukun is more important. Arkan of salah is more important than the wajibat of salah. Both is obviously important. You must have both. But there's a slight difference between the arkan and the wajibat. What's the difference? The difference is this. If you miss a wajib of the salah, you can make sajda to sahwi at the end and make up for it. Which makes up for the wajib that you missed. Understand? A rukun, you cannot make sajda to sahwi for it and that's it. You must fulfill the rukun. You must fulfill the, the rukun. So if you're in the middle of the salah and you realize, hey, I skipped a rak'ah. I can't make sajjah to sahwa at the end and that's it. I have to go back to the place where I missed it and, st- and continue from there. If you realize long after, you know what? I only made one sujood, not two, in that one rak'ah. You have to go and repeat the whole salah because a rukun was missing. You understand? So the arkan of salah is of utmost importance and it has to be fulfilled. It cannot be made up for by a sajda to sahwi. Whereas a, a wajib, if you missed it by accident, you can't leave it out purposefully. If you leave it out purposefully, your salah is baltil. If you forgot, for example, you can continue the salah and just do the sajda to sahwi at the end and that, that will be accepted. You understand the difference? So what happened in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu was, he was, he was making salah, salatul dhuhr. And in the second rak'ah, he stood straight up, he didn't sit for the tashahud. Understand? He went straight up by accident. And this happens. It happens often. You forgot that you're in the second rak'ah, so what happened? You go straight up, thinking you're in the third or in the first. And once you stand, you realize that was the second rak'ah, as supposed to sit for the Tashahud. So now what do we do? The Prophet ﷺ, what he did was easy. He continued with the salah. And at the end, he made the sajda. To make up for the wajib that he missed. So we should do the same thing. But you can never leave out the, the second tashahud. So he continued with two rakaat. So he didn't do three things. Then tahiyyah. So no, he stood straight up, right? 
So that was nice third rakah. So they performed the third and the fourth together like normal. Like normal. So you would go straight up for the third? So you didn't do this stuff yet after the third? No. No, no. Now you're changing the, the tartib of the salah. It's not permissible. Okay. So he missed the first ashahud. He doesn't make up for it. It's skipped. Right? Because it was by accident, obviously, out of forgetfulness. Right? But you have to... What makes up for it? The sajda at the end. The two sajdas. That, that's what makes up for the, the wajib. So you're tahiyat two sajdas. You make tahiyat again or you just clean? No, you don't make tahiyat again. Right? Don't make tahiyat again. Only make the tahiyat once. At the end, you do the, the two. No, when do you do one, Sheikh? One. I saw people do one. No, you do two. Is it difference of opinion? Is it before the salam or after the salam? Right? But we're going to get to that, inshallah, in that chapter. Um, okay. um, so, um, just on this topic, for example, um, um, say um, they say it's better, say um, shaitan plays with you in, in, during your salah. Yes. And then at the end, before you pray, then do you make one sajda or two sajdas? Make two. two. Make two sajdas. There's two sajdas. You make the two sajdas because you're unsure. If you want, no, what I mean, so, so they say, for example, say sometimes you might wonder in salah. Yes. No, then you shouldn't do sajjadu sahwi for no reason. Oh, okay. That's to make up for a mistake. So either you omitted something or you may have added something to the salah. So because of that you need to do the sajda. You understand? Yes, um, but not just because you weren't focused. Not just because, that's why you make istighfar afterwards. Understand? That's why we say istaghfirullah because we know our salah wasn't perfect, and so forth. And obviously, in the salah, if you become distracted, you're supposed to say "Awwad bilam shaitan rajim" and spit three times dryly over your left shoulder, and then you continue and you try your best to focus and so forth. Taib. Um, so that's the difference. The first ashahud is fard wajib. You must do it. If you forgot, you stood up by accident. You can make up for it at the end with a sajda to sahwi or two sujuds, right? The second one is a rukun. You cannot, you, it's impossible to skip it in any case because how are you going to finish the salah? But it's a rukun, it must be fulfilled. You can't skip it or, you know, just in the salah before that or somehow. It must be fulfilled. Right? Um, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Right? Another benefit, there's so many benefits of this hadith. Sheikh Burutaymin mentions over 30, 40 benefits of this hadith. Right? I'm not going to go through all of them because it's a lot of detail. And inshallah, we covered most of them throughout our teachings uh, in this book and other books and so forth, alhamdulillah. General benefits he extracted um, from the tashahud. So, he, I mean, that just shows you the, 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 the tashahud. 49 benefits he derived from the tashahud. We're not going to go through it because it takes a long time. It's general benefits. But at least what do we get from that? There's a lot of fawaid and virtues and benefits to be derived from the tashahud. Just mention one of 49. Which one am I going to mention? There's so many. I can say 49, subhanAllah. It's, it's a. Um, I mentioned one already. I spoke about one or two already. 
I spoke about three or four actually, but many benefits he brought out. Forty-nine, literally. Um, okay, I'll just read some of them. He said that the Prophet's his right is better than the right of the person himself. Right? Um, when a person makes to for people in general, he should start with himself. Another benefit he, he brings out. Um, the virtue of salah, which is. Um, Is there any slaves of Allah that's not from the Salihin? You see, if I go through it, then I'm going to have to explain it. And then that's going to take a long time. Al-Iqrar ila Azza wa Jal bil-Tawheed. Tawheed benefits. Ibtal al-Uluhiyya min siwa Allah ta'ala. Proving that any Uluhiyya for other than Allah is false. All of this he brought out, the status of the Prophet and his great status upon us, his great uh, obligations upon us. Ikhlas is the, the importance of ikhlas, the importance of following the sunnah. All of these type of things he brought out of this, out of the tahiyyat. Um, like I said, a lot of it is general benefits that we, we've spoken about, you know, through, the, through all of our lessons and so forth. One benefit he mentions here is number 40. A person, when he wants to make dua, when does he make dua? When does he actually make dua? He makes dua before the taslim. Right? Before the taslim. This is the time for dua. It's not after the tashahud, as the first hadith we did say actually mentions. Right? But that it's explained in other hadith. Men. Okay? So he mentions it here, for example, that the place for dua is before the taslim and not after the first tashahud and so forth. Um, so and like that he mentions so many benefits It's permissible to do a tashahud with any one of the two versions we mentioned And so forth Taib. Um Subhanallah We'll take one more hadith, it's a short explanation from Fudala ibn Ubayr anhu. He said, I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, uh, the, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu heard a man praying or making dua in his salah, and he did not praise Allah, and he did not send salutations or put mercy upon the Prophet sallallahu So he said, this man was hasty. This man was hasty. Then he called the man and he said, one of you prays salah, he should start by praising his Lord and extolling him. Then he should send salutations or, or mercy upon the Prophet. Then he must make dua with whatever he desires. Right? And this is basically now the explanation of what we just said previously that. 
what does this, where does this apply? You must first start with hamd, blazing Allah, then salutations upon the Prophet, then dua. This is in the tashahud. The tashahud starts with the praising of Allah, then you send your salawat upon the Prophet, then you make dua with whatever your heart desires. As we explained this previously as well, right? That's the time when dua is accepted, correct? Before the taslim is a time when, the, when it's emphasized to make dua. It's a time when it's highly encouraged to make dua, and you can make dua for whatever your heart desires before you make the salam, right? There are certain duas which are more important than others. We're going to get to that next week, inshallah. Um, so we'll stop here, inshallah. Sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaykum.